and welcome to ContourCast. My name is Kat Boyd. I'm joined, as ever, with my lovely, glamorous quarantine co-host, David Jameson. How's it going, everyone? <laughs> I think it's going shite for everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm now tired uh, and sort of bored. Um, it, is, it is strange not being able to go to like the cinema or a restaurant, I keep being on the verge of saying it at this point. Do you know what I mean? Like when I'm really fed up of doing work, I'm always on the verge of saying, ah, should we go out tonight? And then realizing that it cannot be done. And the painful thing, as I've said before here, is I don't think that ends with the end of official lockdown. No. I think that public gatherings of literally any size are hoot. Well, let me tell you, I was at a public gathering today. Mm-hmm. by accident obviously but uh, I went up to the big Tesco's and there was such a massive queue to get into the Tesco's single file socially distanced that it snaked through the car park so it was being stewarded in the car park so you actually right. ended up with like 100 people in this underground car park which to my mind is the literal definition of a mass gathering yeah, there's some horrifying scenes, I actually, imagine, from the United States. Um, there were gigantic queues, uh, people standing on the, the roofs of their cars and stuff, um, waiting for... Uh, uh, sorry, my volume's going up and fucking down here wildly. Um, yeah, so I was looking at pictures today from the United States where there are huge gigantic queues and I'm talking thousands of people for food banks which is there are some images imagined from the United States which are devastating for capitalist ideology thousands of people queuing mass graves uh, mass graves like that kind of stuff it, the, the the impact of that on a, a system whose cultural argument is individualism the kind of dignity of the individual the special character of individual yeah. dignity Stuff like that just is so destructive of it, as is, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's probably the story which has creeped me out the most um, this week, is the stuff about do not resuscitate orders, and then yeah, being... Yeah, sp- I've seen that. I saw that. Like, like, like um, uh, the it, it's spreading beyond people with res- respiratory illnesses, which is gross enough, um, into the area of like people with autism, what on earth does that have to do with COVID-19? Uh, I find it deeply sinister. And I think it's important as well to say, like, like the, the sanctity of life is a thing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you can have a, a purely utilitarian argument about life once you've decided that people have a different, different access to the dignity of life you have fundamentally corrupted something about human society. See, I agree with you, but I think that's actually quite a controversial idea on the left, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I I do. I think that it's become a really controversial idea. Um, I suppose that our type of leftist politics is very much grounded in, like, a theoretical and historical framework that does have um, traditions about, like, the sanctity of life and that sort of thing. But I think that that's been eroded with like big social movements, identity politics, that kind of thing. Um, do you know what I mean? I, I'll tell you one argument that I didn't understand until I had to, had to have explained to me. That, you know, if you're a lefty, I think you're always attracted to this idea of people should have the right to self-euthanize or to seek medicalized euthanasia as a, as the dignified end of the life and I I just say I was in the exact same boat like I mm. thought that that was clearly something that should be like the right of people to choose like to you know euthanasia as a like when it's properly deployed can be like something that brings people dignity and then I spoke to disabled rights activists mhm and and if you actually look at the current um situation those concerns are not groundless. I mean, you you have people who who are um, who have uh, autism being told they need do not resuscitate orders and so on, or being pressured into that situation. It, it's no longer an abstract theoretical argument. When I first came across that, I almost kind of imagined that um, maybe like religious groups were weaponizing disabled people and saying, you know, that well, we it's the thin end of a wedge. 
And uh, if, if we decide that it's okay to euthanize someone because they don't want to be alive anymore, that will be a slippery, slippery slope until we've decided that various classes of under people don't deserve the right to life. And I was like, yeah, whatever. You, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. We've had these arguments before. Actually, I think this has kind of revived the debate around that. Not that I, I'm someone who thinks that in an ideal world, I, I do think that people should have the access yeah. to that right. But I do think we have to be mindful that the coronavirus has exposed that we do live in a society where, well, human life is remarkably cheap. Yeah. For all the sanctimony, it's remarkably cheap. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's one of the big impacts of the like the coronavirus crisis is that it has really, it brings to the fore what is usually invisible in terms of public health. Um, like, I mean, I could not have, I could not have named the chief medical officer before the coronavirus crisis. Like I yeah. knew about Harry Burns because like of some of his like political statements and his work on poverty, but I would never have been able to name the chief medical officer in Scotland. Would you? I couldn't name her until I was calling for her head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the sanctity of life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I couldn't. So like the public health, which is usually like invisible in normal times, very important, but invisible, um, has really like come to the front of social consciousness in front of our debates, in front of our discussions, is like a sort of giant shield. Do you know what I mean? And, and as soon mm. as that shield is revealed, you can start to see all the holes in it <laughs> very mm. clearly about like people who fall through the safety net and you know people who have a certain position about, mm, I don't know, vaccines maybe, um, <laughs> which is something that we'll get onto when we talk about like the con- mm. various conspiracy theories surrounding that. But you do, you start to see like a lot of the holes in the shield that, that that's supposed to serve public and public health and disease control. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the, the wider issue, I don't know if you saw this, but the editor of the Lancet Medical Journal, which is obviously one of the world's you know, mm-hmm. most prestigious medical journals, he wrote a letter, a public letter, which was so scathing and so political, I almost couldn't believe it. It, it was in, in the article, he says, the scientific community have been warning about this for decades. We've st- warned about it over and over and over again. And we warned governments over and over again that they weren't prepared. And we pointed out that there have been waves of these viruses hitting the world system, you know, every kind of roughly every kind of five year intervals. I mean, it's literally that frequent. We've contained them all just in time up until now. He pointed out a book, I think, that was written by a scientist in in 1990, saying this is the threat of our era. Mm. Um, and and he said this has been a consistent argument. There's been no coverage given to it as an attitude. Governments are consistently underfunded. And his basic argument was the world system is too competitive, too chaotic, and too disorganized to allow us to defend ourselves from. Um, crises like these which is interesting because it's mirrored a paper that came out a couple of years ago with scientists arguing exactly the same thing about environmental sustainability mm. so that we've entered i think a period where genuinely you could no longer argue of capitalism that it was a system for the advance of science which i think is a a, a pretty i mean it's because not, i think that, it, that's not a new thing though do you know what i mean like that is that no. is like that that is one of the we were talking about this before the pod started that is like one of the aspects of the the cold war was like Mm. the race to see who could you know develop the technology and the scientific and progress like on a faster faster scale and obviously like the technological progress within the soviet union is i mean it's incredible so we talked about this last week on the pod, I think, just about how damaging capitalism has been for research and development within medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just not profitable and companies spend more on advertising than they do on their research departments. Like, it's just like there's no... This is, I think, part of, like, where the the mask of capitalism has like really fallen off like that idea that it stands for dignity liberty freedom innovation Mm. creativity it's like well clearly not (laughs) when you have mass graves of people dying of a disease that scientifically there's probably a vaccine that could be developed for that but it hasn't been developed 
because it's not it's not profitable. Like no one is know, invested in these types of technologies, these medical technologies, these medical advances because of the role that big pharma play, and also the the role of big pharma in politics as well, and like the connections that pharmaceutical companies have to uh, political organisations. Yeah, in recent years, that idea though that capitalism is this extremely dynamic system has, if anything, only improved. So you're right in saying, you know, socialists have been saying of scientific advance, you know, it's not a scientifically rational society that creates the atom bomb rather than finds a cure for cancer, right? Which is a, a solid argument. And people have said, you know, there's more, uh, the, the, the amount of wealth put into, say, cosmetic surgery is many times that of very, very many um, lethal illnesses and so on and so forth. But as little as a few years ago, I remember, you know, you get like free market American ideologues, like people like Ben Shapiro and stuff like that. If he was doing like a TED talk or something, he'd always take his mobile phone out of his pocket, right? All these guys do this and say, you know, look at this, look at this, uh, this phone. This is more powerful than the world's most powerful computer was in 1970 or something like that. As clear evidence of the dynamism, the continued dynamism of the capitalist system. The funny thing about capitalism is that it's very, very, very good at creating very pointless high-tech shit, right? So it's absolutely true that the, the computing capacities of your phone have massively improved in the last uh, 10 years as that became a major consumer uh, good. But at the same time, I, I don't know if you've seen this, in uh, Greater Glasgow, uh, hospitals are being supplied with PPE that's being manufactured ad hoc by yeah. like university departments yeah. and stuff yeah. because we got rid of all our factories. Yeah. I know, but I just want to like pick up on that stuff about the iPhone. I mean, I've seen Ben Shapiro do things like that, and it always infuriates me because the the truth is is that like that those technologies have been made ca- have been made possible because of publicly funded tech. Right, mm, so it's actually been state investment in technology through, yeah, the military-industrial complex. Do you know what I mean? It's through, um, like universities. It's through, um, the military. It's through like that type of research and development that actually there's a great thing on the internet. I wish I could, I wish I could find it. I might tweet it later, find it. But it's like it's a diagram of the iPhone and all the like constituent parts and where they came from, like where they were actually like where the genesis of their technology has come from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's all it's all kind of state subsidized stuff yeah it's all like it's all state research like, yeah i mean apple's even like you know at the big there's early stages like got money from like the federal government you know it's not like it's not as um I think that startups and tech particularly are heralded as like these like real forefronts of innovation and like capitalist success stories. You know, people like Steve Bannon even talks about some of this stuff. Like that, yeah. Like those kind of models are really driving creativity and providing solutions to modern problems, but they're not. They're not. It's yeah. coming from <laughs> as much as Steve Bannon would hate it. Like it's coming from government. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's much of a future for those arguments. I mean, I, I remember someone saying to me, and it's, I think I often raise in, in terms of um, uh, this discussion about the relationship between the state and the market. That um, uh, what's his name, uh, head of Virgin Airways and all that shit, um, Richard Branson. Richard Branson's companies have only ever turned a profit. So he has many companies, and the only ones that ever turn a profit uh, are the state subsidized ones. None of the ones that don't have elaborate state subsidy systems ever make any money. And actually, if you think particularly between 2008 and now, this is the second time within uh, a little over 10 years where the entire global capitalist system couldn't survive from day to day without an enormous state operation. And that's meaningful. It's meaningful because the capitalist system, as Marx predicted, is made up more of, of larger and larger units of capital which can't fail and become fused with the state because the state it can't let them fail. Um, but at the same and, and every time the state saves those huge units of capital, 
the smaller units get pulped down and assets stripped by the big ones. So we have an e- like the economy today is full of even more zombie corporations that make no profits. It's full of even more huge behemoths that are made up of the bits and bobs mm. of stuff that was broken down in 2008. The economy today is a fucking freak economy. Like, it yeah. makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Like, I think the best example of that, like, talking about freaks, is uh, Tesla. Like, Tesla, yeah. like, never turns a profit. Um, yeah. it, it only survives because of its public subsidies. Yeah. Um, and it's also run by a freak. So there you go. Yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. Run, I think actually by... Elon Musk is caught up in one of our conspiracy theories. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he's behind it all. So this is the this is the five G thing. Yes, yeah, the um the outpouring of conspiracy theories around coronavirus. Which yeah. I find fascinating, I have to say. I, it's so interesting. I've, I've, I'm ahead of the curve on this in the sense that um, I used to be really into conspiracy theories, not in that I believed in any of them. I used to be fascinated by them as a, as a public um, phenomenon. And I remember people saying to me, don't get interested in trying to debunk that stuff because it, you, no one will ever listen. Right? It's not the way the world works. But I was interested in it more in a kind of, I had a sense as far back as about 10 or 12 or 13 years ago that it was becoming a major social phenomenon. Mm. And I, I suppose in our lifetimes, you think back, obviously, like, you know, people think back to JFK and, and, and stuff like that. But the JFK assassination conspiracy theory is a lot more plausible than some of the stuff that goes around now. So mass belief in it, to me, is a fascinating um, phenomenon. Yeah, but I think that the... Con- I, for me, like cons- the consp- development of a conspiracy theory can never be removed from the material circumstances in which it appears. Do you know what I mean, just like mm-hmm. any other idea, like they are products of the material circumstances that that generate them. So mm-hmm. the JFK conspiracy theory is a very particular point in like um, American politics. Do you know what I mean? It's a very yeah. like different type of subculture emerging. It's um, it's the 60s, it's the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, there's like, there is a whole backdrop to that. And like for the conspiracy theories now, like, particularly like the ones around coronavirus or the ones around the flat earth movement, is what I mm. see is that society is becoming increasingly politicized. Like, I think that society is becoming polarized and radicalized. Um, and politicized like I do think that that is a phenomenon particularly since the I mean 2000 let's say 2008 right but I I could be convinced that it's maybe since 9-11 but mm-hmm. you know I think the society has become like you know greatly more polarized but the difference is is that there is not like a sort of grand narrative or big institution that can explain part of that polarization so what I mean is like there is no USSR, there is no like Communist Party in the West. You know there there is no um, big institution that teaches theoretical developments to people to allow them yeah. to understand that yes, conspiracies do happen. This is part of how the ruling class maintain power. However, like do you know what I mean, and actually like give people a, an an understanding of how how class and power and money works. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I mean, it's interesting you, you say that, that, you know, the JFK thing was a specific moment in time because the theory, of course, the mainstream, you know, the, the subcultural theory about JFK's assassination is that it was done by the military-industrial complex, mm-hmm. which is a kind of... Um, attempt by a certain radical liberal American tradition to understand imperialism. Um, because what I think a lot of Americans couldn't understand or couldn't accept was that imperialism wasn't like a an outside virus that was a you know that was part of America that was attacking the republic, right? That this is a very kind of like um, this is a really old idea in imperial societies. So in Rome they had this. They had this idea that you had 
the anti-democratic or anti-popular sections of Rome, and that was maybe the army crossing the Tiber and, and uh, invading Rome and overthrowing the Republic and installing a, a, a dictatorship. This is a really popular idea among uh, American liberals like Gore Vidal and stuff like that, that American democracy was being uh, strangled by a military-industrial complex that threatened to overturn the gains of the American Revolution and this kind of an odd theory but it's because they couldn't accept that imperialism is what America really is you know what I mean it's not an aberration it, it is what it is whereas today uh, yeah there's there's not I mean the the conspiracy theories are much more paranoid um, they are much more um, malevolent forces are trying to hurt me and I don't. We don't really even necessarily know who they are. It's a shadowy. Importantly, it's a shadowy elite who are not the politicians because the politicians aren't really in charge. Here's the thing. That's a correct insight. I mean, on a certain level, of course, it's true that politicians are powerful and have agency. But there's an understanding there that there are other forces in the world besides official democratic structures. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's true, but. To return to like my point about what is different now than you know in the sixties and seventies, and when you have JFK conspiracies, you have like Area Fifty One type conspiracies. What's that? The big alien landing thing. Yes, yeah, is that uh, Rockwell? Rockwell. Rockwell. Yeah, is that right? Rockwell. Is that what I thought Rockwell was Area Fifty One. Is yeah. that? Was yeah, I was there. just trying to be more specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, it's, I think it is partly to do with, like, social media and, like, it can amplify messages, like, much, much faster. But it those messages are being amplified faster not because just of social media, but because they are explanations to, like certain phenomenon that are occurring that used to and there's kind of a vacuum there of explanation from big institutional organised left. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, let's be honest, what was the issue that most radicalised both you and I was the war in Iraq, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say that pretty much every man in his dunk agrees that a giant porky pie was told. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. The idea that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction... <laughs> was mm-hmm. used over and over and over and over and over and over again and every institution propped that up right? with exactly. very little yeah. exception right so is it, it's no real wonder to me right and then you yeah. think about like the impact of that the fallout of that the isis the creation of isis like all of that um the aftermath and the carnage that that's created i mean no wonder people like turn to conspiracy theories because people have seen very nakedly that politicians lie. Yeah, of course. I know. It's incredible that like people who like to bemoan conspiracy theories, I put them in a bracket in my head that's quite similar to sort of militant atheists, right? Um, they they don't want to look at those material conditions that are giving rise to widespread public mistrust that then becomes the seedbed for conspiracy theories. Mm. So obviously by 9-11 there were already widespread conspiracy theories, very widespread it has to be said. People forget that for all that they were widespread in the West, they were much more widespread in the rest of the world. And there's an obvious reason Mm. for that as well, which is that no one outside of the West trusts the West. Everyone outside the West fucking hates the West, right? Again, it's not for no reason. It's because they've seen their country fucked up by the West their parents' generation saw it fucked by the West, their grandparents' generation saw it. If you live if you live in so one of the countries where it was rife was like the like Venezuela, Iraq, stuff like that. Are we really surprised that people who live in those countries don't believe in a word that comes out of Western governments, <laughs> Western media, right? And stuff like that. Yeah. But also but but also but after yeah, after the Iraq war, if anything conspira- conspiracy theories flourished even more widely. So yeah. that by the time of the 2008 crisis. I remember there were a lot of conspiracy theories around, for example, movements like Occupy, yeah. even in, in Glasgow. Yeah. I but are, are, that people, too. are people really surprised when a world historic lie was told? It was found to be a lie. Governments around the world, media around the world, supposedly neutral institutions around the world were found to be complicit in the lying. 
and then no one believes anything yeah. that's said anymore is it really you know so, so confusing i think that you raise an interesting point about like the like the institutions and the almost like the lobby you know, because I think, like, as soon as you say that, I think of, like, the debate around um, Israel and Palestine. Yeah. And this is where, like, conspiracy theories get... I, I think it's a really good example of explaining, like, the problem with conspiracy theories. So part of, like, that, um, the conspiracy theory often, like, is, well, is, you know, being central to the debate on anti-Semitism is mm-hmm. that the support for Israel and particularly the UK and the US is, you know, it's built for, it's created by the Israeli lobby. So the Mm -hmm. Israel lobby um, will wine and dine and fund, coordinate the lobby, push their, um, their agenda to seek out loyalties from British and American politicians in order to act on behalf of the interests of the Israeli state, right? That's yeah, a yeah. that's a fairly common thing that you come across. Mm-hmm. However, like, and this is where I think it starts to explain the problem with like that as a conspiracy theory is like what happens when you take away the lobby, right? Imagine for a second that like, you know, that you'd never heard of the term lobby. Right? There's no mm-hmm. money, there's no pressure groups, there's no part of the state that you can you kind of vote away if you like. Like there's no there's no lobby there. Does mm-hmm. that reverse the West's support for Israel? No. No, of course it doesn't. And, right. And, and that's, that's where that's, you yeah. need that's where you need like a theory and understanding and like a historical context to understand imperialism and the Western project in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, there's a lack of understanding often about the scale of those forces. Like, I think that there's a, an element of people, and it's hard to say because I think there's a lot of disingenuous shite uh, over that discussion, but I think there must be some people at least who think that anyone who's opposed to Israel thinks that the Israel lobby is a sort of shadowy Jewish conspiracy inside Western countries, right? In a sense, I, I, this is this would be wrong as well because it would overstate agency and, and race in this situation. In a sense, Israel is a Gentile conspiracy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Israel is America's and Europe's conspiracy in the yeah. Middle East. It's an auxiliary cult- operation to support a policy that Western powers want to pursue yeah. in their interests. Yeah. It's not and, about and is- the interests of Israel. It's about the interests of the West in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, it's the complete other way around, right? Yeah. Obviously so, because Israel is a tiny country compared to the United States and Britain and France and the sorts of allies that, that Israel has. Israel would not exist without the, uh, without its powerful Western backers. Um, and it's not the other way around. It's not, we're not, you know, the dog really is wagging the tail. The tail is not <laughs> wagging the dog. Thanks, uh, Dad. Use that, use that shit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Uh, uh, analogy Um, but that that also I mean I think that in the conspiracy theory here's here's another in the conspiracy theory the fundamental problem with that way of thinking is that it overstates individual human agency actually on the left people go in the wrong they, 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 they take that too far lots of people on the left by the way can only see the system and can't see the agency which is just equally wrong but um so, for example, yeah, so, so, so they, they can't imagine that we live in a system where they're based on innumerable social and economic relationships between actors and the mass articulation of those relationships of oppression and domination and so on is what results in the form of governance that, um, that we have. Instead of that, they supplant it with a much more easy to imagine scenario where a, sh- a shady cabal at the top of society is consciously manipulating events and so on. Interestingly, though, that flaw in the conspiracist mindset is identically the major flaw in mainstream liberal and conservative thought. I'm sorry, but so like, this is, I think this is an important discussion to have because what I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of is like pointing and laughing at people who like get swept up in conspiracy theories. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Because actually the biggest 
conspiracy theories we you and i talked about this before the pod started recording is around it's it's in the alt-right there's huge splits in the alt-right about uh, coronavirus because mm. like some of them have really like gone for like coronaspiracy stuff and the others haven't um, and it's also there the liberals generally are mad with conspiracy yeah. theories like everything yeah. that they cannot explain is down to Russian interference. Trump wins the election, Russian interference. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this stuff is widespread. Um, I mean, in in the imagination of both the conservative and the liberal, the left is a conspiracy. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, so so historically, of course, conservatives spread the idea that the left was a Jewish conspiracy. Yeah, this that's is famous the term historically. Culture, but, cultural but, Marxism. As yeah, like but a, the de- as a, an anti-Semitic term for. The, yeah, the left. exactly, and and but even to this day, you know, the the idea of um, manipulative tiny cabals and um, you know things like you know phrases like uh, rent a mob often thrown at the left mm. as though every time mm-hmm. the left has a demonstration, mm-hmm. it's like we have an army mm-hmm. that is what professional. Mm-hmm. This idea of professional activists, outside yeah. agitators, like a hyper liberalized view of agency. The left like left wing politics, I mean in the broadest sense, like working class dissent is never seen as an organic part of our mm. society. It's always something set in motion by a shadowy elite. Mm. By a sha- you know what I mean? Uh, to 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 distort events. Um, so that that but that idea is extremely uh, widespread in thought. So there you have the basis for the conspiracist kind of mindset on an ideological level is given to them by the main political forces in society. Yeah, I'm just I was looking at an article earlier about um, when it is is in the Guardian and it's basically I mean reading between the lines it doesn't actually say this but one of the reasons that like coronavirus is spreading so far across Europe is because the Russian media have been uh, spreading disinformation yeah um, and there's like an EU report that's been leaked about the pro-Kremlin media outlets you know they've really been um you know pushing this idea that it's a biological weapon deployed by China the US or the UK um yeah I mean, I suppose what I'm saying is like sometimes I think there can be a degree of like sneering on conspiracy theories that are like, oh, it's 5G, right? There's a degree yeah, of like, yeah. oh, the stupid people. But like the the Guardian, like this is a this is a conspiracy theory. Like the idea, that, and it's illustrated with a picture. I'm looking at it right now. It's Vladimir Putin, and he looks like he's like sitting at a desk, and it kind of looks like he's typing. Do you know what I mean? Like he's actually yeah. the one being like, eh, it was created <laughs> in a lab. He doesn't have anything better to do no. this time. He's just writing fake news stories. He, yeah. I mean, it literally does come from Putin. Like that is, that's what he does all day is just like churn out some fake news. Yeah. Um, no, it's incredible. Um, the other thing that we were saying about this is, do you know the general fear? And it's not the first time you've had a generalized fear that a new commodity good um, will make you sick or give you cancer, right? Spot and people the lie. Are like, I know. The thing is, like, people are like, oh my God, that's so stupid. Why would you think that without medical scientific advice? In the last 100 years, <laughs> every major consumer good has given you cancer, right? So cars give you cancer. Alcohol. McDonald's give you cancer. Alcohol, cancer. Cigarettes, cancer. Diet soda. Right? Diet, di- diet soda, cancer, right? And there's also then, there's also like the multiple drug scandals, like things like thalidomide. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I just fucking, just prescribed pregnant women yeah. that had a, a, such a massive impact on so many people's lives and nobody really talks about it. Yeah, silicon implants, cancer, right? <laughs> see, see the thing is, right? See, this is the thing. After 100 years of this shite, right, every mass consumer good, like all the famous ones, the iconic ones, all giving you cancer. The capitalist class, you know, rule out another one, like 5G, and people say, that's going to give me cancer, isn't it? Like, <laughs> we've been here before. And then, but why, how could you blame people for imagining that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, then, and this idea of, why don't you listen to the scientists? The scientists used to fucking tell people cigarettes were good for them. Yeah. People's GPs Sci- I mean, used to scientists are just them. people. Like, they're just, yeah. they're just people. Um, uh, David... Yeah. Can you mansplain what 5G is to me, please? No, I can't. I, I, <laughs> me? All I, all I, I know. know. Is, it, all, is it big internet? 
I, I think it's big internet goes fast, yeah. <laughs> it is big internet goes fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my Russian yeah. accent. Uh, all, I, all I know about it is I can't afford it and it gives you cancer. That's the two <laughs> things that I know about 5G <laughs> at this point. Um, and it, you know... I mean, it's probably yeah, delivered by Huawei or something, so it probably oh, gives Huawei. the Chinese it gives it gives the Chinese the right to reach your brain or whatever. I think yeah. it is. Um, so I asked yeah. on Twitter for people to tweet me um, the best conspiracy theories that they've heard. Um, they got uh, bioterrorism that this is created in a lab in Wuhan, which is a that's a very very big one right now. Um, mm-hmm. And we did actually we talked about this. Um, on the pod with with both Pete and Marty where like I was making the point that actually the response to the crisis has in some ways not not developed but like accelerated Chinese moral hegemony um, Mm. as opposed to the usual kind of like economic and military hegemony that China has often looked towards but it has I think accelerated their moral hegemony in some regards Um, Mm. but I don't think it was made in a lab in Wuhan Um, although do you want to know a fun fact? Go on. The day of the September the eleventh attacks, like there was a like the security um, forces in the US, like the top dogs of like security and the CDC, were having a conference about bioterrorism. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard this. Yeah, I've heard also. That's not yeah, a conspiracy was, theory. That actually no, happened. There was also a military games. Uh, so it sounds hilarious. I just love it that China has a military game. So no, but I think this is a thing. So like special forces from around the world or whatever all gather in Wu, <laughs> and then a few months later, this this disease emerges. I uh, th- that was interesting though because it led the US, it led the Chinese government to say, "Oh, some of your soldiers brought it over." Yeah, and all yeah. Well, that's the thing is that the Chinese government, like friend of the pod Nathan, sent us a, a link to an article on Vice. Um, that said uh, the Chinese government has convinced the citizens that the US brought the virus and people call it the American virus. Yeah, yeah. Um, which obviously American plays problem. into like, Trump's um, like anti-Chinese rhetoric with this whole like xenophobic... Um, yeah, and that's when it, that's winning out. By tactical, the way, tactical racism. I've, like, I saw the results on that poll, which um, uh-huh. said that the majority of, I think, of Republicans thought that it was actually like a chinese created virus yeah the the, the majority or 54 percent of all americans republican and democrat want china to pay america reparations <laughs> which well, maybe I, they could just call it quits for the opium wars yeah exactly exactly i love it that reparations was a hated argument in american society until coronavirus and now like millions and millions of americans want reparations from china um, um what else do we have okay so uh someone tweeted that they heard that actually it was some bloke was selling the dead bat bodies from wuhan animal testing facility where they make bioweapons he was supposed to dispose of them but sold them to markets instead <laughs> what what's all this stuff i saw someone sharing a meme that said that a pangolin shagged a bat oh that's what they what? think that's what it came from what? a pangolin is that not what they i'm sure like that's part of um yeah i'm sure that that's part of the the story out there yeah people love this i love idea. the idea of like a sort of like del boy type character of wuhan who is like being told to like get rid of these dead bats but instead is selling them down the pub (laughs) i love that i love the idea of wuhan del boy um Um, yeah no it could well be something like that um there's also covid19 was created to distract us from a doomsday asteroid Oh yeah, what's the point in that? I mean, <laughs> it's, we're all gonna die. I mean, from, from the asteroids. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's also um, it was created in a lab in China. It's been circulating for months before the first case was diagnosed. Um, mm. And there is there's been some stories on this um, that says could your December cough have actually been coronavirus? Um, have you see, have you seen this going around? 
Um, I I assume that that's a real question because like um, from from the stuff that I saw, um, uh, uh, the the virus was first detected in Wuhan in December, but it was believed by then that it had already spread to major Chinese cities and from there to major world cities. So I assume that there's a, a a slim, statistically slim possibility that you could have had coronavirus in late December, early January. Do you know? But before the first official cases were detected, I assume that's the case. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that the, the thing that possibly originated in Wuhan in November, um, right. but like in the US, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have really come to the come to the fore um, until January. So mm-hmm. people who got sick before Christmas probably not coronavirus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just as I just I really love like the five G chemtrails. Chemtrails are dropping viruses on us. <laughs> I love it when they double them up. You know. Yeah, I, mean? I love like when it's just like layers of. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really beautiful. Um, so so the but the, the one being popularized by David Icke, right? Is um, see, I do have a. I'm a. I'm a I am gonna. I don't. I'm not gonna slag off people who believe in conspiracy theories. I just see that as shady, and and as I say, a bit of sort of like uncomprehending of the reasons why people would believe in conspiracy theories. But I'm gonna slag off David Icke for laziness, right? <laughs> he is. He is the laziest conspiracy theorist. He's a lazy ever, lizard. Right? He's a lazy lizard boy, right? <laughs> I, I'll, uh, so I watched his thing on this awful YouTube channel called London Real, right? Which is this total charlatan who has a huge audience on YouTube. And he's this guy, he's based in London, obviously. And he just sort of trades in various bullshit, like TED Talk type stuff, masculinist type stuff, alternative theories about health and, you know, all that shite, right? And then he gets, um, this is the other thing, like conspiracy theories are part of a universe of just grift and rubbish, right? That is huge out there and sponsored by big institutions. So London Live, which is a a kind of respected news circulation site, a Twitter account in London, shared that video of, of of David Icke on that programme. And um, David Icke just sort of says, um, he sort of says, well, this is this is uh, this crisis is just it's been fabricated to advance, you know, the plan for world gov- one world government, and they're going to take over everything, all this kind of stuff. That's a really lazy conspiracy theory. And every single time something happens, a war or an economic crisis or an election, David Icke just makes another video just saying, well, this is all about advancing the one world government, right? But the bit that made me fucking chuckle was. When he said, I mean, come on. And this is the thing, there's there's no, you know, conspiracy theorists love to use this phrase, research, do your research, right? Do your own research. There's no research or anything. He's not looked into anything. A bit like this podcast, actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he, he just said at one point, he said, I mean, come on. Why is Iran one of the worst affected countries? Who's the enemy of Iran? Israel. Right, and it's and it's like, right, like, like, come on, you, you're gonna have to put more work in than that. And then he just kind of raised his hand and said, "See, that's what it is." Now, I I, I remember right when some conspiracy. I don't remember this because I would have been about three, but when conspiracy theorists put in serious graft, right? There's one I can think of in particular along similar lines. So, do you like David Irvin, right? Do you know, I mean, that, that, that had to end with like a trial of the century type situation where he was ripped to shreds, but the fact that it had to go to trial tells you something. He toured Europe, right? This is actually quite historically interesting because what a lot of people don't know about the collapse of Nazi Germany is Nazis around Europe after the Second World War were treated with great leniency because they were used to reconstruct um, countries after the Second World War. So in West Germany, for example, the United States and Britain used the apparatus of the surviving Nazi state to reconstruct uh, the state and to suppress dissent inside the country. Um, So lots of Nazis, including some very famous ones like Albert Schwer, were rehabilitated to reconstruct a pro-Western satellite state. Uh, David Irving used that. So he went to Germany learned German and he travelled around the country speaking to loads of former leading Nazi officials uh, and using their as diaries you as you do uh, <laughs> using their diaries getting official documents from them and all this kind of stuff perfectly normal behaviour perfectly normal <laughs> but it was from it was from those materials that he constructed 
his conspiracy theory, you know, co- covert pro-Hitler kind of yeah, history. Yeah, his Holocaust some, denial. Yeah, some of which became canonical. He spent 10 years compiling mm. uh, um, Hitler's War, which became like a university textbook in some universities. Uh, and it took a great effort to unwind. I mean, that guy put a lot of fucking work into building up his bullshit, right? Mm. And it took a lot of work by people to tear it down, uh, by uh, Lipstadt and so on, to tear it all down again. From that, right, that massive effort to rehabilitate Hitler, to to, to fucking uh, David Icke uh, just sort of shrugging his shoulders and saying, don't you think it's a coincidence? Don't you think it's a coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> it's so lazy, man. So my, 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 my major gripe at this point is just how lazy and yeah, fucking I mean, Also, like, a lot of the, like... Roswell Area 51 type conspiracy theorists put a lot of effort in as well. Yeah. A lot yeah. of effort in around like fake alien corpses, bits of flying saucer. Do you know there's like a lot of work went into that? Do you remember do you remember Loose Change, which was one of the most popular 9-11 of conspiracy course. theory films? Do you know there's a conspiracy theory about the film? Of course there is. Uh, and there's conspiracy theories about the, con- uh, the the films that are conspiracies of that conspiracy and so on <laughs> and infinite. Like they're very conspiracy theories are quite trotty, you know. I mean, they're always accusing each other of being oh, traitors yeah. and so on. Um, <laughs> but loose loose change was like a three hour fucking tedious film, right? But it was meticulously, you know, they made a series of bizarre claims about 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 it, and then they tried to prove them, right? But I think there's a reason for that, which is that conspiracy theories have now become so widespread. And people are so prepared to believe them um, that you don't actually you don't have to put that kind of graft in anymore. You don't need to pr- provide people with your dodgy e- evidence or your mistranslated documents or your whatever. Um, David Icke knows he's got a stable base. I mean, he that guy has big meats. Do you know what I mean? But that again just tells you something about how. How much public faith in official ideology and information has disintegrated, um, and and how that kind of void is being filled by by the conspiracy theory. Well, but I mean, part of the thing is is that real conspiracies do actually happen. They yeah. do happen, and you know, in like fairly recent memory as well. Like I wrote a series of articles about conspiracy theories um, when I wrote for the SNP newspaper, The National. Hmm. Um, the you know tried to like focus on conspiracies might not be like little green men or jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams kind of. It might not be that, um, but they do happen around like the miners' strike, for example. Or the mm-hmm. the blacklists. Do you know what I mean we've got mm-hmm. friends who are on that blacklist who've never even? I mean, shout out to Doctor Nick McCarroll, but I don't think you've been on a building site recently. <laughs> he ended up <laughs> on like a blacklist of construction workers. Do you know? Yeah. Um, like these things do happen. Like there's also do you know what I mean? A lot of things around like construction, mining, trade unionism. Like there's a lot of conspiracies there, and now it's. It's pretty well accepted that Orgreave was a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. It was the display of power by the state and the media where they stitched it up to pre- present a particular narrative that suited the political interest. Yeah. And also, I mean, they didn't try and hide it this time because it's Trump and he wanted to boast about it. But, you know, the, the, there was a conspiracy planned and executed to assassinate Qasem Soleimani right at the start of this year. Oh, yeah. What do people, yeah. What, of what course. Do people think? Oh, my. That was the start of this year. That was a fucking Shut thousand years up. ago. Shut up. That honestly, that feels like a lifetime ago. Doesn't it? It's how mad the world is. Like, that's how out of control the situation's become. But here's the thing, right? We'll see when that was done. Um, besides the, all the arguments about you know it's, it's an international crime and, and all this kind of stuff to assassinate a leading political figure in a country but um, also just what do you think again like uh, people outside the West in particular but also inside the West not trusting a single thing that goes on in the country what do you think the ideological impact of the state being behaving as openly as an international gangster yeah like what, what, what do people, you know, think? What, what do you think people are going to, the conclusions people are going to draw from that? Exactly. Exactly. I don't, I mean, I don't really have anything to add to that. Um, I would like to say thank you to all the people on Twitter who tweeted me conspiracy theories. Um, 
yeah, it was a real good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just sorry, I just glanced over one of the tweets that says something about people dancing naked Gangnam style with no masks on. I just... <laughs> yeah. Mm. Anyway, so... Um, is that us for this week? Yeah, I think so. Um, we've had our stab at, uh, at the conspiracy response to... Uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, what we I, mean, I suppose the general take- takeaway is just there are reasons why these things happen yeah I suppose oh that's the other thing I wanted to just mention under this is that um, YouTube have now removed that David Icke 5G conspiracy and so have YouTube um, yeah. no sorry YouTube have removed it so is Twitter so is Facebook I've yeah like, obviously, it's a conspiracy theory. Obviously, it's dangerous, but I do feel slightly uncomfortable with the idea of tech monopolies monitoring what I can and can't see. Absolutely. I I, I think it's really, really dangerous. And I, I think that the left has to have a serious, hard-headed answer to that situation, right? Because mostly, not by any means uh, all stuff, loads of, by the way, left-wing stuff has been taken down from Facebook and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. But at first, the high-profile ones were people like uh, Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. The, um, some of the really kind of nasty, far-right elements and stuff like that. Wasn't Tommy Robinson taking off something? I can't remember, yeah. right? Yeah, um, banned. Now, and it's, the response on some of the left was to say, and it's, and it's very true, and I said so at the time, you know, I... I'm, I am suspicious of this activity and I'm against co- huge corporations having like to censor political speech in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, de- I do also think it is worth saying people in the far right, you haven't got a fucking clue what you're talking about. You've been worried about Muslims um, introducing Hal meat into KFC for the last 10 years. <laughs> and, and, and meanwhile, uh, some huge corporations took over the democracy, took over yeah. the fucking public square, and you didn't have anything to say about it at the time because you, you're clueless about the world you're living in. You don't know what the major forces at play are. But that's it's not enough just to say that. Like We do actually have to work out how to defend basic democratic right to speech on these huge platforms because it, it will be us next. And yeah. we are possibly entering into a situation where there will be massive public dissent and God only knows what's already being censored. Yeah. I, I mean, it yeah. is a certainty. Well, it like, is a certainty. We want to talk about censorship. Like, I mean, Britain isn't counting the deaths of coronavirus properly of its own citizens. I know. Like, that, know. Is, that is, is a type of censorship. Do you know? Like, there's figures that come out today. I think today was um, 900 to odds again. Um, but everybody is saying, you know, everyone's reporting that it's probably more. It's probably more like, because of the way the deaths are being counted here, which is... I know. Yeah. Also, people don't know, like, the, the media is not reporting the extent of the economic crisis. Mm. Now, say what, say what you want about that. Let's just say, I assume this is the way this works in, in BBC. Um, I assume that the editors uh, at the start of the news day say, listen, we have a public responsibility, which is to focus all public attention on containing the virus, saving lives, maintaining order, etc., etc. We have to focus people's attention on that and not confuse and scare people about an economic crisis. Now, let's say that's only as conspiratorial as it gets, because I actually have been suggesting since the start, I would not be surprised if someone, a civil servant, is coming from Whitehall and saying to the BBC, don't confuse and panic and frighten people mm. about the situation. Keep everyone focused on this. Remember to relay government information, etc., etc., which is what the BBC is doing, right? But let's say it's not that. Let's say it's only as conspiratorial as the upper middle class types who are editors at the BBC take it as their civic duty to um, narrow the focus onto the virus for the current crisis period, and then we'll discuss the economic fallout afterwards. If that were all it was, and there's something going on, because we're not, this is, the stuff is going on which is totally world historic, which just isn't being given serious coverage, right? If that's all it is, that's a conspiracy. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like totally. that, I, I even agree. It, um, and, 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 like, I really think that... that and that's a conscious and very political decision about crowd management, about how you manage the psychology of a mass public. 
Um, so again, you know, manipulation is a day-to-day fact of the way an advanced consensual state apparatus like Britain um, performs its its activities. So yeah, uh, I, I think that I think that the media and the information landscape in general is going to become a serious battleground. I agree. Yeah, I don't really have anything more to add to that. I mean, I'm surprised that we managed to make the pod last that long. <laughs> We're both very, very brain dead today. Yeah, very tired. Tired from being in the house all the time. I, I'm finding it exhausting. You haven't really vivid dreams, oh, I won't say that. I had a really vivid dream about you, me and Pete Romand at a pavement cafe somewhere in Europe having an argument. That I mean, that may have actually happened once, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I'm having I'm having lots of dreams where I'm outside the country, and I wonder what kind of psychological yearning for uh, for you know running away is, uh, it is, is that that's kind of manifest. It is because you're trapped in mind jail. <laughs> you're trapped in your mind jail. Yeah, not yeah. just house jail. Yeah, but this is the. I mean, I know that everybody is mad at me about the the Catherine Calderwood um stuff and like my take on it, which was everybody has gone like sort of crazy authoritarian about this, um, mm. which obviously I think she did wrong. I think it's an interesting like point around class politics for sure. But I also want people to know that we are living in a panopticon. We have become mm-hmm. prisoners and guards. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we are trapped and our neighbour is trapped, but we guard them just as we imprison ourselves. And I find that personally terrifying. David Icke doesn't understand how scary the world oh actually God. is. <laughs> you need to stop banging on about David Icke. Um, <laughs> Let's get David Icke on the pod. No, no. <laughs> he gives me the creeps, man. He's gross. He's isn't he? so disgusting. He's so disgusting. Um, but I think we should we should invite some guests on. I think that would be nice. Yeah. Um, anyway, so until next week, um, everyone, stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Don't go outside. I don't know. If you do, we'll report you. Don't don't go near five <laughs> G. Stay away from 5G. That's the most important message you can take away here. Bye. See ya.